And then no matter what was going on in my life before, God is just so big. Even the negative stuff, he could use it for his glory. That's the way I see my military time. That's the way I see my college time. That's the way I, I see struggling in earlier in life. It's the way I see my struggles now. It's God preparing me. For, when I come out of this, how can God use that to his glory instead of just being wasted time in my life or wasted pain or wasted guilt or whatever? Uh, we are how God has chosen to change this world. And if there's nothing else that excites you about becoming a Christian, it's the idea of this world's already pretty much full of hell. It's all over the place. Yep. And we can be the ones, you can partner with him to bring a little bit more heaven to it. I mean, that just excites me. That's why I wanted to become a Christian. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Episode R032 features the story of a guy who served his nation twice in the United States Navy, first as a linguist and intelligence analyst, then as a CB, where he helped build relationships, infrastructure, and hope all over the globe. Today, Paul Kreitz and his family make their home in Guatemala, where their mission is to help others find their identities. Not give people an identity, but show them how to find their identities. How? By partnering with God. In this conversation, Paul and I talk about the importance of accepting people as they are when it comes to matters of faith, politics, whatever else might otherwise separate us from one another. Gosh, that's kind of easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? But in a nutshell, Paul advocates that our job is not to convert people or make them think the way we do, but to love them and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Paul shares why this approach was so important to him during the days when he first met our mutual friend and Reboots episode R020 guest, Chris Benjamin. Chris eventually baptized Paul into Christ. Paul also talks about how and why the teaching programs in their church are geared around walking the entire congregation through the 12 steps of recovery twice a year. Hey, Paul, thanks for inviting us into your life today and for uh, for coming out to say hi. Uh, it's time that's precious for you when you're in the States. I'm glad to have you. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having us here today, and uh, just looking forward to a good conversation. Tell me just a little bit about you. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Paul Kreitz. I live in San Cristobal, Mexico, Guatemala. I'm a church planting missionary there. We uh, we also work with a number of kind of satellite ministries around that. I'm originally from East Texas, uh, joined the military, and uh, studied Spanish and Arabic, and worked for some time in uh the Caribbean and in Central South America, in that area, and um, I'm just fell in love with that part of the world and been working there for a while. 
I, uh, I'm married. I have a, a wife, Noemi, uh, who is Guatemalan. And uh, we have two children, John Paul, who just turned five, and Naomi, who just turned seven. And um, we've been working in that area, planting churches, supporting other churches, and leadership and growth development. And uh, we have a transition house for young people, uh, trying to help them just kind of succeed in life and succeed in Christ. And a battered women's shelter, we work with orphans, we have a program for disabled and uh, widows in, in a local village, and just, just trying to do the best we can, just working. Well, I want to spend some time talking about that as we go forward, but but before we do a deep dive into uh, your reboot and helping other people with um, with their identity reboots, tell us a little bit about how someone can, right this minute, learn more about what you're doing and maybe either get in touch with you or learn more about the ministry or, or if they have a heart to give. Um, give. How would that work? Okay. Well, anyone who would like to contact me directly can email me at paulkreitz at gmail.com. That's P-A-U-L-C-R-I-T as in Tom, E-S, paulkreitz at gmail.com. They can also look us up on uh, Facebook or contact our U.S. phone number, which is 415-251-7328. We are uh, supported by the uh, Cloverdale Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas, and on their website, if you just look up uh, Cloverdale Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas, you'll find us. And uh, there'll be a, a link for their missionaries. Uh, I will have a page there, be Paul Kreitz in Guatemala, and there should also be there a link for giving and for offering. They are uh, they do a good job of handling those funds. They can even get you a tax report and that sort of thing. Very cool. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, you, you're a linguist, United States Navy, right? Mm-hmm. Veteran? Yes, yes, I'm a veteran. And actually, I, I worked as a linguist, and then I, I got out for a while and went back in as a CB. Different part of the world that time, working in Kosovo and other places. So kind of had a background in linguistics and uh, geopolitical analysis and that sort of thing. And wow. then later as more of a combat engineer and construction and but also defense and humanitarian projects for the Dude, cities. Dude, yeah, that's a crazy leap. I, I was I was getting ready <laughs> to make the leap from from armed forces to missionary, but l- let's kind of explore this leap from okay. military, from you know just real high level kind of think tank stuff to actually building stuff in communities. What the heck? Well, part of that had to do with starving in college, uh, and I <laughs> would work for, uh, well, I would go to school for a semester or so. GI Bill wasn't quite then what it is now, and I would just out of necessity, I would kind of work a semester or so, and then I would stop and work for a while, and I would work in construction and traveling construction crews and that sort of thing, and there came a time where the, the Navy was looking for people who were prior service veterans who maybe had a construction experience, and especially those that had top secret or higher security clearances and to do certain jobs that they were uh, needing uh, done at that time. And so under the CB VET program, I was able to, through the reserves, I was able to come back in 
uh, retrain then as a CB, and uh, and I love that work. It was wonderful, and there were some you know just kind of some opportunities for while in battalion. There's you know they they still have need of people who can read intelligence reports and do different things. But the truth was, I was a builder. I I was a I was a rifle team leader. I did all those kind of things. Did convoys. Did uh, but just I was just kind of a low man on the totem pole, just building. And, and I was a low man on the totem pole in, in the intel side as well, but it was just a different kind of work. That's yeah. kind of interesting, Paul, that that you have to have a super high security clearance to do some of these uh, building jobs. No, you, you don't, really. Okay. Uh, there were just certain things. Right. Uh, you know, were, there were uh, some jobs that uh, would require that. And, and actually, uh, you know, as a CB, you don't need much of a security right. clearance at all. Okay. But there was just some, you know, there were some jobs that, that, that would have been helpful for Very them. interesting. All right. Yeah. Now let's do the other logical leap that doesn't okay. sound real logical from armed forces, from a Seabees guy to a Jesus guy. How'd that happen? It really is a logic. To me, it makes perfect sense. I used to say when I was a CB that my previous time as a linguist, I was a CB in training. <laughs> you know, it was just I was kind of getting ready for that uh, to grow into that next job. Really, as a missionary, learning language, traveling the world, helping people in like refugee kind of construction or in uh, defensive things or whatever we did or convoys and that we did in support of refugees and that kind of thing. That really was, it was just very natural, the leap of helping people. Uh, and even as a linguist, you're, we saw our job as we are learning these languages and we are listening or whatever we were doing to, to work in these certain targets to help people. We, we saw ourselves as kind of a first line of defense of trying to gather information so that we could uh, protect people that we loved and cared about, our nation, from bad guys. Well, it's only a natural thing. Then, then that was kind of an, in that realm. Then, as a CB, you're doing it as a, in a physical way. Like right now, they you know they're off doing hurricane relief, uh, you know, earthquake relief. They they do those sort of things, and and I love that part of that. Just that knowledge that you can go help. When I became a Christian, uh, you know, I was uh, it was there at my time at Arkansas Tech University that I came to know a campus minister named Chris Benjamin, who's now a Preaching minister. And, hey, we know him. Oh yeah, he's been on our our podcast. Yeah, uh, and you know we apologize for him in advance, but he's a good guy. <laughs> and he was the one who, you know, I had in my mind about Christianity that it was it was just kind of another, it was kind of a um, cultural assimilation. Mm. You know, uh, come be part of our group, be one of us. It's us against them. And he was the first guy that really taught me that Christianity wasn't just about joining a group. It was about partnering with God to to create the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You know, if we were the one, if we were outraged by injustice, if we were uh, outraged by hunger or just or the disfranchised, God's goal was to restore this planet to what it was supposed to have been. And any person, atheist or not, we all have this feeling or this understanding that things are just not right in this world. God not only offers a, a a solution for that, but then he calls us into partnering with him to make that change. And so that's what excited me about becoming a Christian, was it wasn't just, okay, now I, I'm, I'm just uh, joining the group, but I felt like I, I was getting to partner with God to actually make a difference. And so to me, all of that previous training that I'd had, that previous life, my brokenness, 
uh, learning languages, traveling, negotiating culture, uh, even construction, all those things tied into what I felt was God preparing me that once I had partnered with him, he was used all of my that time in my life really to prepare me to be a missionary, because that's a lot of what I do. I work with languages. I navigate culture. I try to help people uh, in word and deed. And uh, we, we build things. We we're very hands-on in the type of work that we do, and I feel that none of that was wasted time. It was God preparing me to do those things for Him. I love I love the uh, passage, uh, the, like the first chapter there, First Corinthians. It says that maybe we suffer these things at this time so that the comfort we receive in Christ we now can offer to others. We've always used that, whether it's in recovery ministry or just uh, dealing with our brokenness or or whatever. I always saw my previous life as that way, that. God kind of raised me up out of the ashes in a lot of ways from a lot of different things in my life. And then no matter what was going on in my life before, God is just so big, even the negative stuff, he could use it for his glory. And I think we can do that, whether it's, you know, an alcoholic coming through Celebrate Recovery or any number of things. He can use his experience of coming out of that. It could, it could either be something that he's depressed about He's shamed about, he has guilt about, or he can turn it into a tool to use to help others uh, recover as well. That's a message we always give in, in our congregation. And so as far as making those leaps, I think all these things we go through, the bad, the good, it's all it can all be used by God for his glory in one way or another. That's the way I see my military time. That's the way I see my college time. That's the way I, I see struggling in, earlier in life. It's the way I see my struggles now. It's God preparing me. For, when I come out of this, how can God use that to his glory instead of just being wasted time in my life or wasted pain or wasted guilt or whatever? We talk a lot about Celebrate Recovery on this podcast, not not every single one. Mm-hmm. We also talk about creativity and entrepreneurship and stuff like that. But how did you come to Celebrate Recovery? And I'm, I'm going to break the rules of interviewers. I'm going to go two places at once okay. and let you just go right. wherever you want. How did you learn about Celebrate Recovery and how fascinating that CR is in your church in Guatemala. Okay. I learned about CR initially in San Francisco. I had gone there right after school uh, with a team of guys, and we were trying to uh, restart a church that had basically died out. And I ran into a gentleman in that city who had a what he called the Metropolitan Fresh Start Program, and uh, he would take guys who had addiction problems and were incarcerated. They could be released to him as somewhat a, 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 it was kind of a halfway house. And he had 40 or 50 is at its largest. It was probably about 30 guys when I was there. And I would get up and go there about five in the morning when they would have their morning uh, meetings and they would do their steps. And they used kind of N.A. and different things like that. And just researching that, I got to learn more about that there was a Bible-based version of N.A. and A.A. and that it had actually come from, you know, Christian churches that had developed this and had kind of gone more into higher power and different things. But I, I got to learn more about that. I, uh, I approached, uh, you know, I got reading about Rick Warren and reading about uh, was it John Baker, John Baker and, yeah. and reading their stuff and just seeing like, like, wow, this is the 
gospel. This is really what a church yeah, should do. Yeah. And so I actually had approached, um, his name was Kenwood DeVore was the director of the program that had that there. I said, you know, I want to get involved. And I've been studying about CR and I see that you guys are doing your steps and things here. And I started coming in and doing a Bible message before they would do their steps meeting at 5 a.m. So they would come in at like 4.30 wow. and they would do this. And and just built a relationship with those men uh, over my t- and so then I was doing that. Then I had my job actually in the city with our church there over, and we were working with a number of things. And we approached the congregation was that start a celebrate recovery program, and they were kind of against it. And so we just said, hey, what if we took eight or nine or ten weeks and we preached from the pulpit through the steps of celebrate recovery and through the principles, and and of course we did that and people were. You know, and everybody was like, hey, this isn't just about alcohol. This is about me. This yeah. isn't this is just about trucks. This is about me. And the, and the church was much more open to it. So we started doing uh, Celebrate Recovery. And that was my initial my initial contact with it. And in our congregation, we already had three or four AA meetings that met in our building that we weren't associated with. We had some people in our congregation that had kind of been through the fire of alcohol right. and stuff. And they were very active in AA and to me, it was kind of a natural thing. Why would we not offer something as well? Like we're doing this at, at our building that was AA, and, and I've got nothing against AA. I oh, think no, it's wonderful yeah, what they're doing. Absolutely. But I thought that CR offered something that probably fit our identity a bit better. And what we saw with that is it really, it's not it's not just a treatment program, but it's also a leadership development program absolutely. in the church. Absolutely. And it is an evangelism program. What was People it? Come to Chris wrote something um, on a blog post uh, a few weeks ago. Celebrate Recovery is a discipleship factory. Yeah. That was their intention. Absolutely. Uh, it was absolutely uh, Baker and uh, Baker's intention. And, and uh, with, uh, uh, you know, Rick Warren, those guys are just amazing how they had that foresight. Now, I, I left there and went to Guatemala and... Uh, I'm dealing with a change of culture and churches, and we're you know they say, there's a saying in Guatemala every church or every street corner has three things in common: uh, a bar, a a store, and a church. So why in the world do you need more churches? <laughs> but the truth was, we were we were wanting to offer a different culture of church, a more healing and uh, recovery based situation. Not saying that we're well, we're just trying to create. I've been accused of trying to create churches of alcoholics. Well, hey, I, that'd be wonderful. Wait, we all we what? all have something. <laughs> it, no, that's missing the point. The yeah. thing is that uh, we all are trying to recover from something. Absolutely. Uh, uh, whether it's the divorced or people, you know, with relationship issues or just any number of things, we've all got something that I think Christ offers us a solution for. And the these the side benefits of healthier people in your congregation, people with a mission, the just. Uh, self-perpetuating evangelism that's going on, the discipleship, leadership development, all these things that come out of it, how would how would you and who wouldn't want to be a part of that kind of a church where people are being healed? Yeah. Yeah. So so that was our idea. Like, okay, this is going to be at the heart of everything we do. Now we don't always say, hey, CR is the heart of everything. What we say is, hey, here's a great biblical principle that you need to apply to your life. And so it's just it become has become more of a just natural and born part of our teaching. It's not everyone there is going through a the the formal CR meetings. Th- those do exist. Not everybody goes through that, but everybody hears it. 
constantly, even if they don't realize that that's what it is. Yeah, we were talking before we actually started recording. You say that that through teaching, is it from the pulpit or lessons uh, in Sunday school, you walk people through the your congregation through the 12 steps twice a year. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It, How does that work? Well, every preacher, every minister that, that has regular teaching, you find time during the year where you have series of things that you preach sure. through. That is just something that we always make sure it happens. It may be through a Sunday school class once a year and then through a pulpit lesson once a year, or it could be through the pulpit twice a year. But but now, of course, you can look at the timeline on that, and you can you could take two years and not get through everything that's in CR if you're doing oh, it yeah, in a detailed sure. way. What we are doing is we are getting to the major points of it and bringing it out. And you could really do it several times a year if you were really – you know, motivated with it, but we we do that. We also do exegetical work, where we'll pick a book. We just do different things, and we felt it was important that everybody have that at their core in our DNA that we are a church. Number one, that uh, recognizes it's for everybody. I mean, we love this image of Christ as the good physician, and we want our church to be a hospital. So. We do everything in our power to make sure that all our messages are about healing in one way or another. Now, I'm not talking about a... Uh, Lay your hands on yeah, me, yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about spiritual healing right. and changing our perspectives, changing our identities, breaking those cycles. Of, we all come out of, every one of us have yeah. some sort of heart issue that only the great physician can come in and cure. We're just offering one way to tap into that. And in doing so, we feel that we're creating a culture in our congregation is open, that is receptive, that is Christ-centered, and two, that is that is encouraging people to go out and work, whether it's with orphans, widows, their next-door neighbors, because that's what Celebrate Recovery does. It, 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 it encourages you, number one, to do the work in yourself so that you can be a healthy enough person to go out and offer that same work to others. We we also talked a little bit earlier about the current culture in Guatemala and um, how desperate people are for an identity in something mm-hmm. other than brokenness X Y Z. Right. Uh, paint a picture for us of kind of what it's like. Typically, what what are families like? What are what kind of lives do individuals lead mm-hmm. in Guatemala? And I, I don't want to stereotype it; just right. kind of paint a little bit of a picture, which that's typical. Well, I think a lot of times we get uh, maybe a, an image in our mind of what we think is down there, and, and generally it's the traditional nuclear family of the the strong male role model, and it's maybe a very religious household and very traditional and very. You know, I, I think that's kind of the model that a lot of us have in our minds, but and and that definitely exists. My wife comes from that. There's a leader in the home. There's providers. There's protection, but that doesn't. It, just like in the U.S., it doesn't always exist. I mean, I don't know that that really exists in the U.S. in in a big way. You know, uh, I come from a broken home. I think many of us do. Though there is also though there's this kind of generational cycle that we see. In some of the areas where we work, where the men are not, uh, it's just a lot of single mothers raising a lot of children, and there's not a lot of male involvement. 
some very sad situations. There's also a, a culture of of abuse that's, and a lot of times not even considered abuse. Uh, it's just it's so normalized, and there are a lot of things that are seen as just the way things are, or that's just how we do things here, and some of them are very hurtful, very destructive. We work uh, very closely uh, uh, in a village where there's just just rampant. Like a lot of girls just never even go to school. Mm. Uh, the boys are probably sent to school because they're considered to be earners. And those girls are just home and they, they go through all kinds of abuse and, and the boys too, really. And there's a, a lady, she's a hero of mine. Her name is Karen who takes in a lot of these children. Now it has to be very bad for the government to get involved and take a child from a home, but she is one of the places that they can send them. So they are, they're orphans, maybe culturally. They have maybe a parent or two out there somewhere, but the, but there's just no one to care for them. And the orphan problem there is tremendous. At one time, they used to send uh, their kind of solution for taking care of orphans was to send them to the U.S. for U.S. adoptions. Uh, that's been done away with with the Hague Convention uh, because it turned into basically selling children. There was very little real process. And the system was so broken that even when it was threatened with taking that away, there was nothing. They, they just couldn't fix it. And there's been nothing to replace it. So then when that happened, a lot of the American orphanages pulled out. So now there's just this, there's kids everywhere that they can't take care of. Most of them are taken care of by the generosity of Americans and different things. And, and uh, the street kid problem is just going and it. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. There's no one helping those kids to see there's a better way. You don't have to do this yourself when you become an adult. And and here's, you know, how do you how do you come in? Well, you have a problem like that. How do you even deal with it? But it's just, it's nationwide. Children growing up with no resources, single mothers growing up with no support, men, whether it's from a, a number of reasons, a lot of them maybe they go to the U.S. to work and never come back, you know, thinking that they're helping their family, or it's just, or alcoholism. Yeah, or or it's just uh, a thing that where they're just not to be bothered with family, and they might have several children out there, and they just don't support any of them. But either way, it's just a lot of brokenness, a lot of family dysfunction. You know, and if you look through the Bible, the book of Genesis is about broken families, and that's nothing new. You know, you don't want to be the guy that comes in and says, Hey, you know, we Americans have it figured out. We're going to show you a better way to handle your families <laughs> yeah. and stuff. It's not we see that. how well that's worked over yeah, the years. Ab- right? Absolutely. I mean, we're 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 going to have our own battles on our own fronts here. But we what we've tried to do is try to see how in Christ, uh, how can some of these families break the cycles? How can some of these kids change their identities? How can they aspire to something better? And if we can help some do that, how can that create a ripple effect through generations that through that partnering through Christ, maybe they can offer something better for future generations? As you were talking about the the, the culture of abuse, I'm going to guess that you've probably been in a situation with domestic violence where you've had to speak truth into to a man or a woman and say you don't have to put up with this and don't do this over here in the states our culture right now 
is to shame the abuser and the abused. Mm-hmm. My brother, that's not working over here. Yeah. I'm going to guess that your training is a, a, a police officer and armed forces and as a minister, you're going to speak differently into some of those conversations rather than get in somebody's face and be a jerk all the time. Yeah. Uh, tell me, how, how do you speak truth and love and change a cycle of culture in a moment of rage? Well, uh, I'm kind of a lot of times more coming in after a situation has happened and trying to pick up pieces, which is a different thing. Now, we have had situations where this is ongoing and we're trying to help someone get out of those right. situations. Right. And the main message that we have for people, and it's generally not the abuser, it, it's <laughs> it's the, the victims that do not want change. They're afraid of change. Mm-hmm. Well, if I am not his, here with this man anymore, or if I'm not in the house with those parents anymore, or whatever, wherever the abuse is coming from, who am I then? What we deal with so much is trying to show them who they are through Jesus' eyes that they don't deserve that sort of treatment, that Jesus maybe has a wants a better life for them. And as well as for, you know, whatever aggressors that you're trying to tell them, you know, this is not the life that God has has planned for you. You are not living up to to that. You know, I mean every case is but it's a very difficult question because yeah. it, it's so loaded. But our truth is is I mean about our message is always trying to see the truth that God wants God's identity for us doesn't always match up with our identity for us. Perspectives are powerful. We work a lot with victims, and whether it's through the young men of our transition house, uh, women from shelters, different situations, the message there is God did not create you for a life of guilt, shame, abuse, torture, whatever it is. That's not what you were created for. God had a plan for you. And it's up to you, though, to make your decisions. You have to make healthy decisions. Uh, now, we, we don't go around just telling people, you need to divorce this person. You need to do this. We don't do that, right. of course. What we are trying to help them do is to tap into their own self-value, their own self-worth, their own identity, which they they have through Christ and not not the identity that that relationship puts on them, not the identity that that situation puts on them, not the shame or the guilt of their past that leads them to believe that they aren't worth anything better. Uh, and then we try to, to put tools in people's hands because really the work is there. It doesn't matter how much I want for them to change until they want something different, right. even in a, in a case of abuse. Uh, it's not just, a, we're not just talking about a woman being abused by a man. We're talking about like kids who maybe have been abused and then they're out of that situation, they have a desire to go back to it. Hmm. You know, a lot of times that's their identity. It's who they are. It's been normalized. It's been, and they're afraid of being something different, you know? Hmm. So that's why we've created our programs like the Transition House and others that deal so much with trying to help them to change their identity to a more healthy, positive way, but also putting hand, uh, tools in their hands through education, uh, vocational training, discipleship, 
anything that we can do to help them to experience something different instead of just empty promises. You know, it's all about identity. It's changing a culture. It's changing direction. It's breaking a pattern. Paul, I think it's amazing. We've talked about the importance of recovery and how it's baked Mm -hmm. into teaching. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. But it's clearly not enough because if you don't teach someone how to work or fish or learn a new thing, Mm -hmm. um, then the teaching helps people when they learn a new skill, whatever that Mm -hmm. skill is, not then replace that identity and find that identity in that vocation. Mm -hmm. So what what are some of the vocations that you offer and how how do those work? Well, the first part about that is it's not so much about the individual vocation or things it's it's more about people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care it's about investing in them for helping them to decide for themselves what's best for them you know they know they know themselves much better than we do my wife uh works with like uh the the kids of our transition house who comes from to us through orphanages or other difficult situations and she counsels them and she coaches them and helps them to decide to, to explore themselves, to, to be able to even search for their own dreams, whether it's a woman from the battered women's shelter or one of our kids in the transition house, a lot of times they don't have dreams or they might be afraid or embarrassed to express them. So but what we do is we work with them to develop goals and uh, dreams and almost whatever they come up with, that's, that's the direction we will send them to. We've had, Two kids who just their passionate dream was to become barbers. We've had another kid. He wanted to be a mechanic. He had never driven a car in his life. He wanted to be a mechanic. We have a a, a young man right now uh, who is finishing up his nursing training. You know, and and I, and I have to be honest about it. My goal is not to make more barbers and nurses and cooks and <laughs> yeah. whatever. My goal is to see them successful in Christ, whether they have money or not. It's not about that. To me, it is more about uh, self-esteem. It is about giving them the tools to succeed in whatever path that they choose, as long as it's a path with the Lord. So we, now of course, we are we are sorely underfunded. We have, you know, kind of champagne visions on, on Kool-Aid budgets. But, you know, we're trying to, to do this not for, I think you need to do this, or here's what you got. Mm. We're not trying to mold them into our wants and desires for them. We try to help them to, in a very healthy way, say, what is a real, realistic thing that I can do on the vocation side? So we then work to try to find programs that fit within our budget for them to do that. And... uh so we'll send them to some sort of Votech school, and we always try to make sure that it's a it's a program for adult learners, uh, so that they can work apart from just studying. And then we go try to uh, to do community partnerships with uh, people working in that field, so that they have OJT kind of a on job training and apprenticeship and stuff. So then for the people that give that, they're getting the benefit of some some work, and for our guys, they're getting the benefit of that experience, so that they can get a good paying job when they're finished. Our, our young man that's studying to be a nurse, he's perfect example of that. He thought, oh, I think that uh, you know, call center workers who learn English make a lot of money. Maybe I could do that. And, of course, it didn't work out for him. And it really, somebody had told him you should do that. Well, then someone said, well, maybe you should be a, 
I don't remember. Oh, you should start a donut store. There's no donut stores. Okay, okay, I want to be a donut man. And he he went down that road for a while. He didn't like that. And it was just like, wait a minute. What do you want? And I just want to help people. And, well, okay, let's explore that a little bit. What ways would you like to help people? We've been going and doing uh, just kind of some encouragement and Bible studies and just help in a, in a nursing home for a while. And he says, you know, I really like working with those older people. I like what the nurses do, how they take care of them. Well, then, Freddie, uh, what what ways would you want to do that? Well, I'd like to be a nurse, too. Well, we thought right off the bat, you know, I don't know how this kid, you know, nothing against him. He's he's all heart, but he's not a good student. But we said, Freddie, we'll give you a shot. We'll, we'll try to make it happen. We worked out a deal with a nursing school, got him in. He uh, he loved at work, but he just, he struggled. He's not, he's not a, he, he's, like, he's like me, you know, he's not a, a very academic kind of person. But we went to the the uh, nursing home where we've been serving and said, "Hey, you guys know Freddie? He comes up here every Wednesday and he helps with the old the older folks. Uh, he wants to be a nurse, but he's having a hard time in school. Can he do an apprenticeship with the nurses here?" And they said, "Yeah, we love Freddie. He's he's great." They gave him a shot, and those nurses took him under his wing. And of course, they're getting him there for free, and so they don't have a whole lot to lose. And he starts getting to learn hands-on with what they're doing in the classes. He would bring his schoolwork in, like, oh, this is how you read you know, blood pressure. Well, here, you're going to do it with everybody tonight. He shot to the top of his class. It just works for him. He loves serving those old older folks, and he feels like he's paying back everything that he's getting as a member of our transition house kids. He feels like he's paying back to others because he's doing it in the name of the church. And... He goes from that to where I, we're just so proud of him. The owner of the nursing school hi, picked him specifically to become the private home health nurse for her own father. Wow. And he's now making a great salary. They actually offered him more money if he would work more hours, and he turned them down. He said, you know what? I feel like I need to be more involved in church and the studies going on there. So, uh, you know, he turned down this big promotion even. I mean, that's that's just shocking to me you know he's he's it was big it was going to be more money than anyone his family had ever made but to him no i'm getting too much out of being a part of my church community and that job would take me away from it too much this is from a kid who's never had money i mean his life is changing he just led his cousin to christ Mm. you know and he would he came to us started as a nothing you know basically an atheist and he's now leading his own. He's going back to his village and leading his family members to Christ. It, this is what we're trying to do, and this is what's getting our church excited. It's and and he's going to be. I think I feel he's going to be a leader for the rest of his life. And he was a kid that started with nothing and felt that he deserved nothing. He had no self esteem, and we didn't do that for him. Christ did that for him, and we just got to partner along that process. So it's going to be exciting to see how he partners with God the rest of his life. Wow. You just blew my mind, Paul. I totally lost where I was going to go next, and that's okay. Well, I don't think I was even answering your question. I just got no, excited and no, chased no. a rabbit. No, 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 no. It's awesome. Okay, let's chase another rabbit. Okay. How do we as believers mm-hmm. approach someone or, well, let me just back up just a little bit. Pretty often, I have people come up to me even at Celebrate Recovery meetings. And I have friends who listen to this podcast faithfully, and they are atheists. They don't believe. And 
sometimes I hear preachers telling jokes about someone who doesn't believe and kind mm-hmm. of looking at them as if they're the Us devil or the enemy. Them. Yeah. How do we as believers approach someone who doesn't believe or even doubts every now and then? Kind of take me take me down that that road a little bit with a, a young man like Freddie who walks up to yeah. you probably and just says, "I don't think I believe in this God stuff." Well, to me, I would rather have someone who is honest and at least open than someone who's just going along with, you know, going with the flow and, okay, everybody's a Christian. I was, so since I'm born in this Christian country, I'm a Christian too. I would really rather have somebody who's really asking the hard questions. I think that's a, a much more, because when that faith is established, it's a, it's a real faith. You know, it's not just something you've inherited. It's something you've worked through. I taught some classes in a, a Christian high school that not all the kids necessarily were Christians. It was just a, a good private school. A lot of kids went there, and and I had a one Bible class where probably only about a, maybe 20% of the class identified as coming from Christian homes or Christians. And I'll never forget, I had a, a young man, his name was Abel, and he came to me and he said, and he said I... I I need to apologize because, to be honest, I, I I'm not believing everything that we're sitting here, and I just feel really bad about that. And I remember thinking, huh, I'm actually glad that you're asking the questions, and I encouraged him with that. I said, you know what? I would encourage you to to keep exploring because if this is real, it's going to reveal itself to you. And if it's not, then what what you know have you lost? Even even searching, and I remember with someone hearing that just being very offended. I was like, "No, he needs to ask questions. If this is real, then it stands up to scrutiny." And yeah. so, like a kid with Freddie, Freddie, if you, if you are you at least open to to looking, you know, don't just say I don't believe. Are you at least open to looking? And uh, how can I help you go through the process of looking, seeking? And that that was all it was, was just respecting him where he was and just laying it out. I think I believe God's word has the power in and of itself to convince if you actually spend time in it. And so that's what we do. We take all of our kids wherever they are, and their only requirements, like I said, is for them to work, for them to study, and to participate in our spiritual development training and exercises and all this stuff. In other words, go to devos, go to Bible study, and help us serve in the church. And it's just a natural process that when you've been exposed to it, there are things that demand a response if you really get into it. One of the things I think that helps some of our kids, and it seems very weird, I shared with you a little bit about the book of Judges we we spoke earlier. There's something about this sin cycle that's in there of, uh, you know, we use a lot in chapter 3, I think it's 7 to 11, we have Othniel, the, the story of the the people who had once been at peace in the Lord, they start seeking these foreign gods, you know, just kind of their expression of independence, and that liberty that they thought they were finding turning into oppression, and uh, they can't figure their own way out, and it's not until they ask for God for help, and they cry out to him that he sends the messenger deliverers, which are these judges, in that case Othniel, and he calls for repentance. And when they repent and they truly change, that's when they only then they find peace again. And I always use this that as a model and say, you ever told a lie? You know, why'd you tell that lie? Maybe to keep uh maybe to keep out of trouble 
you make something up and does that always work out? No. Sometimes you become, you know, you're telling this lie to free yourself from a situation. But then you become a slave to lie, right? You have to tell another one and then another one and another one. And next thing you know, the life that the lie that you told to get out of trouble actually kind of owns you and you become a slave to it. Oh, lots of sitcoms are based oh, on that absolutely. scenario right absolutely. there. And I said, and what, and how do you get out of that? You have to ask for forgiveness and maybe tell the truth. It's the only way out of it sometimes. Well, do you not see that that cycle is the same one that God showed us here 6,000 years ago or however many years ago? And he said, and, you know, this is what I think people are looking for universal truths. Yes. And I think that's what CR does. I think that's what, and that's what we try to do is even in the creation story, people like to argue about the literal hours of each of those days and all this kind of stuff. But what about the truth of the order of the universe that's yeah. in there? And what about the, the truth of like this sin cycle that we see there in Judges about how how many times in my life have I been in that? And how many times, you know, have you experienced this in your life? Yes, I have. Someone wrote that thousands of years ago. And just open the door and just show them. And it's not just about memorizing facts and figures. It's not about following a creed. It's not about these things. It's about finding the universal truth and what it offers you. And what it always offers in Christ is freedom. And that's the perspective that we go and showing them, you know, there's just so many teachings there about new identity, about changing perspective, about being part of something greater than yourselves. In our case, what young man doesn't want that? What young woman doesn't want that? What abused spouse doesn't want that? What abused child doesn't want that? What person in any pew of any church dying inside, who doesn't want that? And so that is how what our approach is. It's not a sit down here and, okay, do you agree with this? And you have to do this. You agree with this? You have to do this? No, it's just about exposing to them the full counsel of God's word, but looking for all of these opportunities to show the universal truth and how it applies to their lives. That is the power that CR offers. And that's why we've incorporated into all of our other teachings. And also, this is hope. Like I, you know, another thing I shared with you earlier about, you know, First Corinthians, you know, perhaps we suffer these things at this time so that the comfort we find in Christ we can offer to others, showing them that all the junk of their past, even, can turn into something positive if they use it to uh, serve God and use that as a tool for God's glory. You know, every alcoholic, every well, even even someone who comes out of uh, an abusive husband who comes to Christ and turns his back on that life. He can use that story, how God helped him, maybe to help others. Yep. And so that's what we do. And like I say, another thing we say all the time also is that no one cares what you know until you know how much you care. We point out to them just the community it takes to to accomplish the work of the Lord and how you're never alone in how if it's the, the the people that are supporting our church plan, if it's the people that are supporting the transition house so that more young men like Freddie and young ladies now too, you know, right now we're, we are only at like six kids and our, we, our plan is for 12, but we couldn't do any of them if it wasn't for people working together. What is that force that makes people across continents, across cultures, across countries, what is that force that binds them together to work for a common goal? There's nothing else in the world that, that brings people together that way other than the love of God, you know? So 
we we use all of those things or we point out all of those things just the hope the promise changing your identity becoming part of a better culture becoming a, a better you and that that was God's plan for you all along not to control you but to free you not to hold you back or push you down or make you feel guilty but to empower you to embolden you to partner with you to do great things I, I think I shared with you earlier we have a saying we say that uh, I mentioned Freddie we just Freddie's, he's, he's just a wonderful kid mm-hmm. but we said Freddie can't do much on his own God and Freddie are a great team because together they can do anything God's work in this and you know I think at one time you know God uh, chose you know or he chose to walk in the garden to show his love to Adam and Eve he you know he did that directly and then he he chose certain prophets or certain patriarchs to you know share his love with them then he came and he walked on earth and flesh as Christ to show his love to people well now it's us his church his people uh, we are how God has chosen to change this world and if there's nothing else that excites you about becoming a Christian it's the idea of this world's already pretty much full of hell. Yep. It's all over the place. Yep. And we can be the ones, you can partner with him to bring a little bit more heaven to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just excites me. Yeah. That's that's why I wanted to become a Christian, was because there's a purpose to it. And I can be his ambassador, you know, regardless of your politics. If Donald Trump comes and said, I want you to be our ambassador to Great Britain, you would be honored. The creator of the universe says, I want you to be my representative. I choose you. You can do it. Wow. No one believes in me that much. So it's almost like not so much how much I believe in God, it's how much God believes in us. But we just have to be freed up, free of our junk and our identity problems and our guilt and our garbage to actually hear that message and follow him. It seems like maybe I hear you saying the whole point of all of this, every bit of it, is to do that whole love one another, love your neighbor <laughs> as yourself thing, which means teaching other people how to love themselves in a healthy way, and then let the Holy Spirit work out conversions and let the Holy Spirit and each individual kind of make that salvation decision. Is that? I hope I'm saying that um, because I I feel that my responsibility is to share the love of God. My responsibility is not their response. Um, and I got to be careful how I say that. I'm not saying that we don't have a, you know, we shouldn't be. I think evangelism is something that should be every part of our life. Good news, good news. I don't think it's about numbers. I think it's about good news, you know. I don't think that evangelism is just me standing in a street corner with a bullhorn. I think evangelism is everything that we do. Because uh, was was it Gandhi that said, I believe that, Christ is a redeemer when his people act more like redeemed people. Was yeah, it, was it him that right. said that? Well, that's true. I mean, I think that's what we should we should be doing. You know, I'll never forget going to a church one time and, and hear and hearing some people bickering because there were people smoking in the parking lot and thinking, 
<laughs> Man, if that's the worst of their trouble, they're doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just think that we need to wake up a little bit. And, you know, and I'm not trying to dog anybody. I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody, but I think we do miss the point. And, and that's all, that's all identity issues. That's all changing perspective. I, I'm very thankful for the old guard. I'm thankful for, for all of these churches that are existing and, you know, maybe operating in their own ways. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have the resources to do new things in new places with new people. But I think we do need to be looking at new ways of doing things. Mm. And one of those is, you know, I hear us talk in church, you know, being a missionary, I read a lot. It's always targets. And, uh, you know, the people are targets. Well, from a military background, that doesn't sound very positive to me. <laughs> That's you know? true. Or you, know, it, or, you know, even when we talk about mission, a lot of times we use it like military mission. Or, uh, and, the, and the thing is, the people aren't the enemy. We're trying to save the people from the enemy. And I just think that that's, that's what we're trying to over and over again express and uh, I don't know if we do it very well. I mean, that's what we're we're trying to do. But I think that's a you know when you look at when Christ says when it says you know they're saying that Christ's ministry was a ministry of reconciliation. He wasn't in war against the people. He was trying to reconcile them. His war was against you know the spirit of darkness, which is pretty prevalent. And we're trying to save people from that. So, but it can it can be very easy. It can be very easy for the people to become the enemy. And that's just what I want to avoid. I think it's remarkable, Paul, that the message you're trying to convey ties in directly with your salvation experience mm-hmm. with our friend Chris. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty amazing that we have this capacity, one human being at a time, out of obedience for the next right thing in front of us, to then, you know, we talk about breaking chains of bad habits and, and addiction, mm-hmm. but through obedience, we're kind of building a chain. And Chris was kind of the beginning of your obedience chain to Christ, maybe? Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, he wasn't my first connection to church or to Christianity or whatever, but it was the first time that someone loved me whether I was on their team or not. That's what I felt. I'm not saying that's the way, but I felt like, you know, he loved me whether I, as a person, he and Karen, both his wife, they, they showed a genuine interest, but not only that, it was kind of God loved me for who I was, regardless of who I had been. That, that was, that was huge to me. It was just that unconditional kind of, uh, you know, just an understanding that Christ sacrificed himself to me regardless of what sacrifice I was willing to make for him. That was huge. And maybe that's not that mind-blowing to other people, but just to me, that was a big deal. And this idea of the partnership with Christ. And, and you know, and I was a guy that, you know, my I've got a stepdad that, even though I wrecked his car on the day he married my mother, you know, <laughs> even though awesome. he, you know, we, he always made it clear to me that he chose to be my father. Mm. As much as he chose to marry my mother, he chose to be, father. so we didn't use the stepdad word, you know, he really, he chose me. 
so then when I, you know, I'm here learning from Chris, that's exactly what God did to you. Hmm. That, that, you know, and then here we have these passages that we overlook talking about how we were chosen and that we were adopted into sonship with God and we become co-heirs with Christ. Even still today, that feels like blasphemy to say I'm a co-heir with Christ. But God chooses us. It should be the biggest part of our identity and is probably the furthest thing from our minds. Hmm. I think sometimes we see ourselves as being forced by God to follow his rules, which we are. I mean, I mean, let's, let's be honest. He's God and we are not. <laughs> That's one of the first things we should Step all learn. One. Exactly. There is a God. I'm not it. And so, yes, I should, as the creator of the universe, if he says, do X, Y, Z, that, that, that should be the end of it. But it's, that's not the end of the relationship. He chooses us to be his children, his heirs, and he wants what's best for us. And that, you know, it's the only reason I think we have the rules. But when you see things like Christ saying, what is what is the most important rule? Well, love Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your mind. And the second was just kind of like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the rules and laws of providence are boiled down to that. The three love God, love others, love yourself. You know, and so, okay, well, maybe I don't want to steal because that's not a loving thing to do to him. Or maybe I don't want to cheat on my taxes because it's not a lo- you know, it's all about love. And you're just kind of like, wow, my perspective has been off. Mm, yeah. Yeah, he's not trying to control me. Yeah. He's not trying to manipulate me. He's not trying to get something out of me. And that's where I come up with this idea that maybe worship isn't even, you know, does he is he just is God just kind of this uh really insecure being that needs us to get together once a week to make him feel good about himself? Yeah, probably and that, not. And that's why we're praising him. Or is it because he knows I need that? Yeah. I need that connection. I need to know I'm not alone. I need to be strengthened. And and he's given me that. And so like so it's just all about changing perspective and that's what we're, you know, and whether it's through the kids or through the church or through my own life, I'm still trying to learn these things. Yeah. yeah. And so really it was guy like, you know, Chris just getting in my life and getting his hands dirty, you know, with a lost cause. Um not so much. Uh, maybe. I don't know. The verdict's still, the, the jury's still out on that one. So you're reminding me of a couple of different books that I've read in the last week or two. Oswald Chambers, um, uh, The Sermon on the Mount. So that's mm-hmm. like 1912, 1914, something like that. And the theme that I'm catching from that book is that, that God doesn't need to defend himself, and he mm-hmm. sure doesn't need us to defend him. Yeah. And then there's another one. Um, I'm not so necessarily an advocate of uh, the author of this book, but hey, you know, uh, crooked sticks, straight sticks. I I don't know. Maybe he's not that bad a guy. Uh, Stephen Furtick crashed the chatterbox, and one of the one of the comments he makes is God God doesn't. Oh well, I'm gonna love Tracy and Paul. They kind of yucky, but I'm going to love him anyway. Yeah. It's He doesn't approach us that way. He knows the number of hairs on our heads, and he loves us, period. And that's just awesome. Well, you've got one right up here on, on top of your dresser here, that ragamuffin gospel. Oh, yeah. If you haven't... Brennan Manning. Yes. We, you know, that's one of the ones, that's one of the initial ones that just like, oh, wow, you know, woke me up like, 
he doesn't just like me. He loves me. You know, uh, I think that should be required reading and kindergarten maybe for everybody you know we should all have a a background in that i you know i'm not real versed in oswald chambers i'm not extremely well read but that one i would say i i I have to give credit where credit's due on on brennan manning uh i'm just i I read all of his stuff i can get my hands on yeah but really he's got that he's that was uh something to me just seeing this joy of god loving me as a ragamuffin. God loves right. me as a, uh, you know, street urchin kid or whatever I am, and and and, and that does come out on me. And uh, I'd, I'd like to read the ones that you mentioned, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, sure. I was sitting there, I was eyeballing your ragamuffin Bible over there, and I was like, ah, oh, Brennan Manning. That's yeah, and then stuff. there are his laments, the 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 letters to my my Abba, and mm-hmm. he he prompted me oh five or six years ago to write a letter to my mm-hmm. Abba. Just yeah. not quite every morning, but pretty yeah. often. All right, a couple of more questions. We have Steffi's Pizza waiting for us All with right. Chris and my mom. When you were talking about vocational opportunities uh-huh. for your kids, and and I have a friend, he, he's actually been a guest on our podcast. His name's Chris Cheney, and he's a barber. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess that it might be really cool to have some... Women and men from the states with a specific vocation come down and maybe serve or spend time with Way these kids. Cool. How yeah. how tell me how well, that might work? Okay, well, in a lot of different ways. Number one, you you've heard today me mentioning a lot of things that we do, and it may give the impression like we're big, <laughs> but we're not. Uh, but we do. We work with uh, battered women. We work with. Uh, poverty-stricken villages. We have a disabled woman that we bathe every week. I mean, she can't even bathe herself. We go in, she's an older lady, and and our young ladies go and bathe her. I mean, we we, uh, we put roofs on for widow ladies. We do all this kind of stuff. We have an orphanage that we serve. We uh, we have uh, satellite Bible institutes that, that I oversee in different parts of the country. We have three church plants. You know, we're doing all this kind of stuff, and we have the transition house, which is like kind of my passion, these kids that come to us and live with us and uh, they go through discipleship and and scholarships and leadership training and all this kind of stuff and we have the church plant all these things that we do now it doesn't take much of a genius to figure out that there's no way I do that by myself <laughs> you don't no not at all it but we don't have a, a mission team it's my wife and I and uh, some Guatemalans that are there are rising up but the, there's Really, the the resource wise, how I get those things done is I coordinate it. In the early days, I was pretty much by myself getting this started, but now we have more short term mission teams that come in, and and also financially, I can't afford to do hardly any of this. We don't have a work fund for all of these different things. We're still building the transition house, and uh, which was my old wood shop that we just started putting my old furniture shop that we just started putting uh, uh, bedrooms in and now they've completely taken it over. And, but when mission teams come, they have a group from a school or a church or whoever wants to come and just serve, you know, that helps us, you know, cause a lot of times they provide some work funds to do some projects that we need done and we don't have money to do, but also, but for me, more importantly than that is the people on the ground, the boots on the ground, like they always say on TV, uh, coming in, sharing by their example, and and just in serving and whether they 
did some kind of shops with the kids to teach them some things or Bible studies or going up into the village. Uh, we're do- This Christmas, we're doing a Christmas for the entire village. Mm. And we've done this a couple of times before. And uh, we'll I'll preach three or four sermons that day, kind of a, a why Christmas kind of message about who is we use that we use that to get in to see people, but we also do. Uh, there's only one white guy in the country shaped like Santa, so I get on the, get in the suit and I go out and and we do that, and it's a wonderful thing. We do we do put on Christmas for the orphans, and uh, you know and we. Actually, a church that we are planting right now has come out of that. That's how the, the, that wow. village knows us, and now they're going to have their own congregation. Wow. We just got finished working on the building. But we couldn't do that if people didn't get on a plane and come and help us do it and and do those things. So if anyone wants to come and work for a while, I mean, we've had young people come and stay, or you know, and others come stay a year, two years. Mm-hmm. We've had gap years from students. We've had... People come stay work here. We're looking for team members. Actually, they even come and stay longer. We also receive interns from different universities that will send them to come work with us. Mm-hmm. So if we are very open to people coming. We have housing, transportation. We have cooks. We've got it all there. I mean, we're already feeding all these kids. So another right. couple of plates of beans isn't you know mm-hmm. isn't so bad. So what we do is, if anyone wants to come and work, or just come for a visit, you know, and be there for a little bit and know more about us, we've got. All kinds of housing. There's a group from Fort Smith that comes with the West Ark Church of Christ, and they're going to bring 50-something in March. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not all of our groups are that big. Our average is 10 or 12 or whatever. But if someone wants to come by themselves and just to come work and help us, we love the help. We need the help. Uh, that's one way. Uh, financial contributions are obviously wonderful. You can contact West Ark Church of Christ. Talk to Chris Benjamin about that. Or you can contact the Cloverdale Church of Christ at Cersei, Arkansas, with the website we discussed. Or you can just email me at paulkreitz at gmail.com. But those are two ways you can help. But what we'd like to ask everybody is to pray for us and to pray for those kids and pray for that church and those ladies we're working with. So those would be the biggest ways we could have help. Do you have any specific ways we can offer our prayers? Well, uh, one is that we just want—it would be very easy for us to get, now that it's growing, to get very uh, locked into the business side of getting all this done. We want we want to keep Christ at the forefront of what we're doing, and so we we just really we pray constantly for His His Spirit to 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 be in us, and for us to pay attention to the spiritual needs, uh, even in the midst of all the the fires of getting all the physical needs met. That'd be one. Two, of course, is that we can be financially responsible and financially um, viable to continue this work and to do it that way. And uh, three is that we want our ministries to constantly be pregnant and, and expectant to grow and to just kind of create a movement somewhat of of just uh, active, vibrant churches in this way. But those would be our, our big prayer needs. Uh, I don't know if I went through that so fast if you got it all down, but... I got it. Okay. What else? That's it, man. We, I just really appreciate this opportunity and appreciate your time and just we're very... Thankful to to uh, to you for letting us share. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. There are all kinds of things you could be doing during this precious mm-hmm. time when you're at home and around family and supporters and, and all of that. And um, I'm honored uh, that you would kind of come hang out with us in Lavaca, Arkansas, Paul. Well, thank you. Our pizza delivery woman has arrived. Let's go eat. All right. Thank you very much. 
for the record, right as we stopped the record button, we did walk out of our interview room and have a spectacular Uncle Roman Pie from Steffi's Pizza in downtown Lavaca, Arkansas. Great conversation with my mom and Paul and our friend Chris Benjamin. We listened and laughed while Chris and Paul shared stories of their time together in Arkansas Tech in Russellville back in the 90s. You know, I couldn't help but marvel at how that relationship eventually brought about Freddie's changed life. Freddie's the young man in Guatemala who's now a nurse, and we talked a lot about Freddie. And so what's cool is that if you're looking for an adventure either for a few days, several months, or even years, there's an opportunity for you to hook up with Paul and his family and figure out how you can be a catalyst for changed lives. Fire off an email to Paul at paulkreitz at gmail.com. That's P-A-U-L-C-R-I-T-E-S. Why don't you share your story and your background and ask Paul how you might be of service. Or you can click the Give link in the show notes that are going to take you straight to a form on the Cloverdale Church of Christ's website. Select Kreitz missions, or Kreitz Missions Transition House, and make your gift. If this story has helped you in some way, would you be kind enough to let us know? Tracy at RebootsPodcast.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y at RebootsPodcast.com. Show notes for this episode are at RebootsPodcast.com forward slash episode three, two. I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.